0: And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Most of the topics that we've been talking about the last two weeks have been pretty negative. Right, We've talked a lot about racism, what's going on in our country. We've been talking about baseball. Baseball is supposed to be the most American thing ever. It's our American pastime. And it's turned into this point of frustration and anger from fans, and especially for me. I just I want something to talk about. The baseball can't figure it out. We've been talking about the coronavirus, although we've really easily forgotten about that, right, with everything else going on. And the, did you see what happened with Drew Brees today? Drew Brees says something a little bit ignorant, probably a little bit misguided. And now he's getting rolled on Twitter. A lot of negativity going on right now. Today, it'll be nice to talk about some positivity. Some agreement. Not disagreement. You see what the NBA did today? The NBA is expected to pass uh, an agreement tomorrow by the Board of Governors to restart the season. To get a plan in place. To get a date in place. To move forward to conclude the 2019-2020 season. And it's a and it's a really stark difference between the NBA and the MLB. What do we keep reading with baseball? Uh, well, the, the 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 Labor Association is expected to reject this proposal. And the players are expected to reject this. The league expected to reject. It was nice to open my phone this morning, or I guess this afternoon, and see that the NBA is expected to agree and expected to pass and approve a plan to restart the season. It's nice to have the other side of that coin. Not disagreement, not rejection, but acceptance and agreement and hopefully sports before too long and I do want to focus on that today I want to talk about sports I want to talk about positivity but I I want to make it really clear like what we talked about on Monday and what we talked about yesterday racism and the progress that our country is trying to make let me be really clear we're not going to talk about it today but it's not going away it's not going anywhere this conversation isn't going anywhere and the protests aren't going anywhere We can't just push this off to the side. We can't just say, all right, back to sports, back to normal life. Because if we do that, this is going to happen again sooner rather than later. And we're going to have to deal with it again and again and again until we actually take it seriously. So although we're not talking about it today, it's not going anywhere. and I want you to remember that. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. We're going to talk about Packers football today coming up at uh, 520 or so. We'll uh, we'll go pack in time. Once a week, we've been doing this for about the last month where we talk about an old Packer game. Today, we're just going to look back a couple of months. We're going to go back and look at the Week 16 game against the Vikings last year because it's an amazing example of what Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur could do if they worked together and fit well within LaFleur's offense. It's a great example of that. I'll explain coming up in about 10 minutes we'll go back in time and then at the end of the show I just I just want to complain about baseball for a sec I know I know we said we were going to be positive and I'm also going to pull out a little bit of a conspiracy theory maybe not a conspiracy theory but I'm going to try to take an alternate spin on what everybody's saying about baseball something new something that I haven't heard that's coming up at 545 but to start I want to start with some positivity let's start with the NBA the NBA is finally coming together and they are expected to approve a plan to return to play in Orlando, Florida with 22 teams. The conference calls tomorrow 12:30 p.m. Eastern Time. So we'll know before tomorrow at noon. It's expected to pass, so hopefully the vote tomorrow is nothing more than a formality. I swear, this is the last plan I'm talking about on this show. (laughs) I love the NBA, and I want it to come back, but I swear, this is the last plan I'm going to talk about, the last plan I'm going to explain, the last plan that I'm going to give my opinion on. This is it. This is the last one I'm done after this. And to make sure there's no confusion, to make sure that, that this doesn't get twisted or misconstrued, I am going to read you the words from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, I'm not going to try to summarize my own words. I'm going to tell you exactly, point blank, word for word. Here we go. Walt Disney World Resort, 22 teams. The plan includes 13 Western Conference teams and 9 teams from the Eastern Conference, 8 regular season games, and a possible, possible play-in tournament for the 8th seed. Possible. We'll get into those details and what that means here in a sec. Top 16 teams in the Eastern and Western Conferences will be joined by six teams. And all of these six extra teams, to make it 22, are within six games of eighth place in their conferences. That's the New Orleans Pelicans, the Portland Trailblazers, the San Antonio Spurs, the Sacramento Kings, the Phoenix Suns, and the Washington Wizards. So six other teams that aren't currently in the playoff picture are going to be included. Six, all of which are within six games of the eighth seed. So they had a cutoff at six games. The play-in tournament will include both the number eight and the number nine teams if the ninth seed finishes the regular season within four games of the eighth seed. So if the ninth seed is close enough, they're going to allow them to join and be a part of a play-in tournament. And we can talk about that as we get closer, what exactly that means, especially after tomorrow, because we'll know more clearly. But according to this source being reported by Woj, the number eight seed enters a double elimination tournament, the number nine would enter a single elimination tournament. Only if that number nine seed makes it in by being within six games of number eight. If you don't know the NBA very well, eight teams from each conference make the playoffs. The cutoff is at eight. But due to the coronavirus, let's say, okay, well, we'll humor number nine if you can get close and you have eight regular season games to get close. There you go. There's the proposal. Now there are teams being left out. Plenty of teams being left out. Hornets, Bulls, Knicks, Pistons, Hawks, Cavs. They're not going to include the Timberwolves, or the Golden State Warriors. So teams with a shot to get in that aren't currently in. Are the Washington Wizards. The Trailblazers. The Pelicans. The Kings. The Spurs. And the Suns. Couple of more teams in the Western Conference. So to summarize. Very very plainly. 22 teams. 13 from the West. 9 from the East. Are invited. They're going to play in Walt Disney World Resort. The Worldwide Sports. Whatever. In Florida. Down in Florida. 8 regular season games. And a possible play-in tournament to make the playoffs, even for a number nine, if they are within six games of the eight. So they got to be close, but they'll include them if they're close. There you go. That's the last, I swear to God, that's the last plan I'm summarizing on this show, on air. I'm sick, I'm sick of it. Between baseball and basketball, I'm sick of it. Now, my take from the beginning on the return of the NBA, the goal should be preserve integrity of the playoffs, keep them as normal as possible, the format, and honor the 60-plus regular season games that have already been played. Now, obviously you can't preserve 100% of the integrity of the playoffs because we can't have fans, we can't have home court advantage, we can't have home courts. So that goes off the window, that goes out the window, but preserve as much of the integrity of the postseason as possible, meaning keep the format as normal as possible, the schedule as normal as possible, keep it all as normal as possible. Preserve the integrity. Goal number one and goal number two should be to honor the 60 regular season games that have already been played. We are concluding the regular season. That's the goal of the playoffs, is to conclude and crown a champion after 60-plus games that have been played in the regular season. So don't throw those away. As I read it, if this is all correct, it accomplishes those two goals pretty well, as well as can be accomplished in a pandemic-stricken world. There's some new factors that are out of the ordinary, outside of home court advantage and and all that. Obviously, sequestering the entire league at, at Disney World Changes things up. But outside of that, there are a couple of new factors, including six teams that are out of the playoff picture. I mentioned those. And they are included in a possible play-in tournament. Now, bringing these six teams in one more time, it would be the Wizards, the Blazers, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Spurs, and the Suns. Those are your six teams. Bringing those six teams in raises a few concerns. Let's talk about that, right? A couple of those concerns. Look, these teams are bad. These six teams that are that are invited are bad. The Wizards, the only extra team that's invited from the Eastern Conference, the Wizards are twenty-four and forty. They're not just below five hundred. They're not just slightly below five hundred. They're sixteen games under five hundred. Some of these teams are really bad. The last team in the Western Conference to be invited, the Suns, twenty-six and thirty-nine. They're bad teams. Not good basketball. So one could be concerned that maybe the competition is going to be watered down. Maybe the postseason is going to be watered down. That's a concern I hear. Another concern is that there could be some bad matchups, right? Do we really want to watch the Kings play the Clippers? Well, I'm a big Kings fan. I love the Kings, so I'll watch it. But that's not exactly a marquee matchup. Do we really want to watch the Spurs and the Grizzlies play a play-in game? not exactly a sexy matchup, right? And the normal NBA playoffs with only 16 teams, you still have bad matchups. Last year, the Bucks and the Pistons was a bad matchup, but that's the way things go between the one and the eight seed. There there are always some bad matchups, but if you start inviting teams that are 16, 15, 20 games below 500, you're going to get some bad matchups. That's a concern that I hear. Another concern is that they're Could be stars sitting on the sideline. And Kevin O'Connor, who first proposed the idea of group play for the NBA, he rose this concern. Why does the NBA want to waste time, energy, and money and resources to to televise the Kings and the Pelicans in a play-in game when LeBron, Giannis, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Jokic, why should we watch the Kings and the Grizzlies play play? When all the league's superstars and super teams sit on the sideline. Seems a little weird, right? And and I agree. Those are all concerns that I see. Bad teams, bad matchups, stars sitting on the sideline. I understand all of that. All those concerns are real. But they all have one simple answer and one simple solution. This is as simple as it gets, folks. Ready? More basketball is better than less basketball. Simple as that. More basketball is better. We're starred for games. We haven't seen an NBA game since March 11th, that famous Wednesday night. Think of March Madness, the first weekend of games. Do I care that I'm watching Montana play Vermont? No, I don't care what teams I'm watching. There's just so many. Give them all to me. I want quantity over quality. And after months and months and months of no basketball, I think we'll be okay with quantity, even if all the matchups aren't great. Just like March Madness. And it's an opportunity for the NBA to try to market some of its new stars. We all know about Zion Williamson, but also Ja Morant. And if we're talking about the Kings, we can talk about De'Aaron Fox. And I I guess we could talk about Marvin Bagley. I don't don't really want to, but you can make a case, right? Devin Booker in the postseason wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Getting some of these teams into a play-in tournament would allow the NBA to market some of their younger stars. Stars that people aren't familiar with yet. More basketball is better than less basketball. Basketball. I love the idea of a play attorney. I hope it happens. It's free basketball. I ranted last week. The NBA is the National Basketball Association. And sometimes I think NBA fans become more distracted with everything else. Social media, podcasts, Twitter beefs, memes, drama, free agency. Sometimes NBA fans get away from the actual point. And those are the basketball games. More games is a good thing. More games is better than less games, and that's why I'm all in on this, even though it's a little bit unconventional. You add in some extra intrigue, some extra games, without penalizing the teams that succeeded in the regular season, the Bucs, the Lakers, the Clippers. You've heard my spiel. When we come back, I want to talk about the Packers. It, it always seems like when we need a little positivity, we can just talk about the green and golden, and everybody will get on board. Let's go pack in time. We're talking about the Packers-Vikings week 16 from just a couple of months ago, the Monday night game right before Christmas. This game is an amazing example of what Peak, Rogers, and Lafleur could look like combined if they both buy in in 2020. I'll explain and we'll break this game down. Coming up next, the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant. I, I was just scrolling through Twitter a little bit over the break. Drew Brees is getting... Killed, killed for what he said in an interview earlier today with Yahoo Sports. Just getting killed. If you want to just, if you want a sense of what's going on in the world right now, just whip through Twitter and just see what teammates, ex-teammates, and other NFL players and people are doing to Drew Brees on Twitter right now. It's unreal. Follow me at Keystroker Grant. You can follow us at WKTY if you like to live on Twitter, like I do been a negative place for the last couple of days, the last week or so, but my God, they're going after Drew Brees. And I guess I understand it. I don't think Drew Brees really read the room before making the comments that he did. I, I want to stay away from talking about politics, talking about what's going on in our country today. Doesn't mean it's going away, and you shouldn't forget about it. You shouldn't move past it, but we're going to talk about something else today. Today's Wednesday. The last couple of weeks, every Wednesday, we've been doing this thing called Pack in Time, where we talk about an old Packer game. We get nostalgic. We remember. We reminisce. And we also try to learn a thing or two that might make us smarter Packer fans moving forward. Maybe give us an idea of what to expect from Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, and company in 2020 this fall. Last week, we went back to 1997. This week, I wanted to be just a little bit more current. And last week was a lot of fun. Of course, it's fun to talk about a Super Bowl win. It was cool because we also got to talk to Leroy Butler last week to kind of put a cap on our discussion about Super Bowl 31 in 1997. It was great. But I wanted to get a little bit more current this week. Half of the reason I I do this segment, like I said, is to learn. And I've been pondering two games from 2019 for the last two weeks. The Raiders game, which was week seven, I believe. I got the schedule in front of me. Yeah, when they beat the Raiders 42-24 at Lambeau, October 20th, week seven. That game was an option, but I ultimately decided to talk about the game from December 23rd, week 16, at the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football. This game is a brilliant example of... Of so many things, and I want to get into it. We'll talk more about it. Let me set the stage just a little bit. Coming into this game, Packers are 11-3. and They can clinch the NFC North with a win, either against the Vikings or the next week. The only way the Vikings can clinch the division at this point is to beat the Packers and hope the Packers also lose to the Lions in Week 17. The Packers are on a three-game winning streak, but have been underwhelming. They beat the Giants, but didn't pull away until the fourth quarter. They won that game 31-13. They beat Washington 20-15 to at home and never really felt like they were going to lose, but didn't exactly beat a bad team like we thought they could. Then they beat the Bears the next weekend, 21-13. to And and the Bears are a good team, good defense, good competitor, division rival. But winning by seven, or I should say eight, not really enough for most people. So three and all, they're on a three-game winning streak after that loss to the Niners. And now they go to the Vikings. The Vikings, on the other hand, are 10-4. They need to beat the Packers to stay alive in the division race. And the Vikings are actually playing pretty well. They're 8-2 in their last 10. And Kirk Cousins is balling. In those last 10 games, Kirk has 22 touchdowns and 3 interceptions. The only losses in the last 10 games for the Vikings were to Seattle, 30-37, which is a close game, and to the Chiefs, 23-26. Another close loss. The Vikings are playing well. And that brings us to week 16, Monday Night Football, Packers-Vikings on Christmas Eve. Eve, let's go packing time. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. What the hell's going on out here? Everybody's grabbing out there. Nobody's touching. The title is back in town. The Green Bay Packers are world champions of I have some really fun memories of this game. I know it's only a couple of months ago. One of those games where you remember where you watched it and who you watched it with. (laughs) And it especially feels great to remember it now because that was back in the day where we could, you know, gather with people and and be social and get together and drink and share food. Yeah, remember that? That was great. The Packers won this game 23-10, to but the final score and the box score doesn't even begin to tell the story Of this game. I chose this game as an example. Because it's a great example of Aaron Rodgers. Fitting in Matt LaFleur's offense. Aaron Rodgers actually wasn't very good in this game. He wasn't terrible. But he wasn't great. Aaron Rodgers finished this game. With 216 yards. On 26 of 40. Passing. 26 completions on 40 attempts. One interception. And no touchdowns. Pretty underwhelming. The Packers... Won anyways. They also turned the ball over three times. And they won anyways. And if you go back and watch this game, you're like, you know, it actually seemed kind of easy. Packers kind of cruised on the road. Booger and testator this is a Monday night game on ESPN, pulled a quote and shared it right before the Packers took the field for the first time. And I thought, beautiful, perfect. Aaron Rodgers summed it up. The night before, they had a discussion with Aaron Rodgers, and this is what he said. If we can be a tick more efficient... We can be dangerous. And for me, that set the stage for the whole game. Now I'm paying attention to ways in which the Packers are trying to be efficient, right? How is Aaron Rodgers trying to fit into Matt LaFleur's offense that utilizes the short passing game? Screens, the running game, efficient, easy completions. After Booger and Tassator shared that quote, I'm locked in. And I'm watching this game through the lens of efficiency. Oh my God, and it's such a great game if you're trying to learn About this offense. This game also has the makings of a very usual. Green Bay Minnesota game. At least for the last couple of years. And that's including an absolute monster game. From Devontae Adams. A monster game from Devontae Adams. Adams had 116 yards. On 13 receptions. On 18 targets. Excuse me. 16 targets. The long completion was 18 yards. So it's not like he got a big chunk of that 116. Off one completion. 13 catches. On 16 targets for 116 yards. He was everywhere all night long. You want to know who doesn't underrate Devontae Adams, by the way? This is an interesting point. You want to know who doesn't undervalue Devontae Adams? Vikings fans. Because Devontae Adams has run roughshod over their secondary every time they've played for the last two or three years. Now, Minnesota's secondary has gotten older, and they've dealt with injuries, so it's not just due to the greatness of Devontae Adams, but it's been a bad matchup that they can't figure out, and they haven't been able to figure out, and that was evident once again in this game. Very, very typical of a Green Bay-Minnesota game for the last couple of years. 23-10. to And this game was a beautiful example of efficiency, or as as I've started to say, Matt LaFleurism's, even though the final score wouldn't indicate it. I wrote down as many examples of LaFleurism's As I could. I have five or six. And I want to share them with you. Some are simple. Some are a little bit more complicated. Right off the bat. I wrote it down. They had a tap pass to Tyler Irvin. And as the season went on. Especially into week 15, 16, 17. Tyler Irvin became a little bit more involved in the offense. Because they started to figure out things they can do with him. Tap pass. Something we saw with Devontae Adams. I think it's something they'll ultimately try to utilize. With Marquez Valdez Scantling. Because he's so fast. Just get him the ball in motion and let him go right? Efficient, easy play for Aaron Rodgers and his receivers to to execute. Right off the bat, they got a tap pass to Tyler Irvin, something I never saw with Mike McCarthy. That's a Matt LaFleurism. Another example of efficiency, basically every throw made to Alan Lazard is a LaFleur type throw, especially on third down. Alan Lazard was targeted nine times in this game. Four of those targets came on third down. You really see Lazard develop as the season moves on into a favorite target of Aaron Rodgers on third down. And a lot of the routes are slants. Or little out routes. Or little stop and go routes. Things that are near the line of scrimmage. On third and four, a seven-yard slant. Beautiful. That's something you used to see with Donald Driver, with Greg Jennings. And they kind of went away from it as the McCarthy tenure went on. And it seems to be something that they're getting back into, especially as a way to utilize Alan Lazard. Nine targets, four of them came on third down. That's not a coincidence. That's an example of efficient play in Lafleur's offense. There was one play that really jumped out to me, and it was an outside shovel pass to Aaron Jones. Now, we see all the time pitch plays to the outside or outside runs. The Houston Texans in, what year would that have been? Maybe 2012, if I remember correctly. The Houston Texans made this fame. They had Arian Foster, and they would only run outside the tackles. And that kind of became a movement in the NFL. Outside runs are nothing unique. But this play was just like a shovel pass. A little pitch play. But a, but not a pitch play. A shovel pass to the outside. Just an easy foolproof way to get Aaron Jones the ball. That's a Lafleurism right there. They also ran jet sweeps and fake jet sweeps to Tyler Irvin. They really use Tyler Irvin in these big sweeping motions. Going side to side. Almost like an orbital motion. Circling and orbiting back back behind the entire offense. This just gives the defense something to look at. At one point in this game, Tessitore and and Booger agree that, you know, you're not going to fool Aaron Rodgers very often, but you want to throw as many different looks as possible at him. They were talking about Mike Zimmer and his strategy for playing against Aaron Rodgers. You're not going to fool him, but you can make life as difficult as possible on him. Give him as many looks, as much motion. It's the same with Tyler Irvin. You're not going to bust 70-yard gains on a jet sweep like we used to see the Wisconsin Badgers do. In college football. But it's another element for the defense to have to pay attention to. These big sweeping orbital plays. Where he's moving side to side. Sideline to sideline. And he's forcing the defense to pay attention. To look at something else. Even if it's just a decoy. Although he does get the ball in some tap passes and jet sweeps. And he's pretty pretty effective with it. He's pretty effective. Those were the LaFleurisms. The real efficient plays that jumped out to me. Between Tyler Ervin and Aaron Jones and Al Lazard. It's really clear in this game. When we come back, I want to explain how this game like went, how it developed, not just specific plays here and there, but what allowed the Packers to win and why I think this game is a really, really promising example of what the Packers offense might look like this fall. Now, there's lots of bad examples from 2019 as well. This is one of the good ones. And we're trying to be positive right now. So let's be optimistic. Let's get our hopes up and I'll show you why this game should give you some some promise and some confidence offensively going into this season coming up this fall. Wisco Sports Show, back in a few minutes, presented by Play Again Sports. You're listening to WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I-, I would encourage you to go on Twitter right now if you haven't been on today. See what's going on with the Drew Brees saga. So basically, really briefly, before we get back to talking about the Packers, Drew Brees was asked today about possible kneeling protests in this upcoming NFL season, which I think we're going to see. And he said, I will never agree with anybody disrespecting the American flag. And as I talked about last week and talked about on Monday, Kaepernick's protest was never about the flag. It was never about the national anthem or the military. It was about racism. It was about black men and women being oppressed and being abused by police all over the country. And there are no consequences for it. So Kaepernick protested. It was never about the flag. Aaron Rodgers Speaked out a little bit. He said, "It has never been about an anthem or a flag. Not then. Not now." Look, this this quote doesn't make me hate Drew Brees. I don't know Drew Brees. I, I think it was probably just a misguided, miscalculated quote. But Aaron Rodgers hit it right on the head. Aaron Rodgers hit it right on the head. Smart guy. Our quarterback, Green Bay's quarterback. You bet. Let's get back to pack in time. We're talking about Week 16 against the Vikings. From this last season, it was the, the game on the 23rd, right before Christmas. Final score, 23-10. to 10. And if you watch this game, which I did this morning, it didn't really even feel as close as 13 points. The second half felt so casual. It's like, yeah, the, oh, the Vikings have the ball back. Oh, no, see what they do. Yeah, the Packers are going to win. And it felt like that from halftime on. Half of the reason why I like watching these games is because I like to learn. And this game is a great case for Matt LaFleur's offense. The Packers turned the ball over three times. Aaron Rodgers was less than spectacular, and they cruised at U.S. Bank Stadium in a place where Aaron Rodgers had never won with a division title on the line. They cruised in a game where everything went wrong. They had turnovers. Aaron Rodgers wasn't great. They're in a hostile environment, in a huge game, in a nationally televised moment, and they cruised. I know we're all a little skeptical of the the, the control that Matt Lafleur has after only one season, This game should instill confidence in Matt LaFleur moving forward. Now, there's bad examples from last year to make you question things as well. And with a rookie head coach or a rookie anything, you're going to get inconsistency, right? That's why Devontae Adams took three years. That's why Valdez-Scantling or EQ are going to take more than a couple of years. As players or coaches or professionals or your significant other in a relationship, as you gain more experience, you get more consistent. So Matt LeFleur had good and bad last year. This game is a reason to believe in the good and, and have a little confidence moving forward. Think about this. These are all the things that went wrong in this game for the Packers. And if you remember, it was exhausting to watch. First possession, Aaron Jones fumbles on third and five. Would have picked up the first down and steady fumble. On the next possession, Aaron Jones drops the ball on third and three. Booker McFarland even says, hey, that's a great play design. Should have been a great play. Packers will come back to that one. Things are going well. They're moving the ball. Aaron Jones drops the ball on third and three. Okay, kick a field goal. Moving on. Rodgers throws an interception to safety Anthony Harris. He had time. He had a good pocket, good protection. He just missed. He missed, made a bad throw, didn't see Harris, whatever. His first interception in 278 attempts at the time, and one of very few interceptions from Aaron Rodgers in recent memory that was just 100% on him. Wasn't a batted ball. Wasn't a tipped pass. He just made a bad throw, bad read. Then, Adams... Fumbles the ball on a big game before halftime. And then drops a touchdown at the goal line. So instead of scoring and taking the lead going into half, the Packers pull within 9-10. to Instead of, you know, 13 or 14-10. to That's everything that went wrong in the first half. And you know what? For as much as we hate on Booger McFarlane, he actually did a really good job of recognizing this and pointing it out a couple of times. Like I said, after the Aaron Jones drop on third and three, Booger says, hey, that's a great play design. Should have been a big play. I bet they'll come back to it. Right? Now, the result wasn't there, but the idea and the concept and the play was. And over the course of the first half, the Packers started to turn it around, and then in the second half, got it going. At the end of the first quarter, it's 3 to nothing Minnesota. And Booger says, you know what? This Packers offense is actually starting to get into a rhythm. They're getting going. You can see it. Now, the score wouldn't indicate that. You'd have to be paying attention. You'd have to be looking beyond the stats and beyond the score. But the Packers didn't score a touchdown until the second half. And Booger McFarland, 15 minutes into the game, is like, hey, this offense is in a rhythm. They just keep stepping on their own toes. They keep turning the ball over. That was it. Now, the Packers were able to win because they stopped turning the ball over in the second half. But the defense bought them time. They treaded water through the first two quarters. The defense was great in this game, especially Zadarius Smith. If you ever doubt Zadarius Smith's worth or his big contract, go watch this game. Go watch this game. And watch Zadarius Smith the entire time. And you will never doubt again. In this game, Zadarius Smith, you ready for this? Seven tackles, six of them were solo, three and a half sacks, and two other tackles for a loss. Seven tackles, three and a half sacks, and two tackles for a loss, not including the the, the three and a half, you know, that count naturally as a sack. Zedaria Smith was a beast, not only in the stat line and the numbers that he recorded, but in his versatility, lining up inside, outside. His vision as a run-stuffer in this game was tremendous, and that's why I talked to Leroy Butler last week, and I said, Leroy, Mike Pettin's got to find a, a member of the secondary, whether it's Jair or Kevin King. I think Darnell Savage or Adrian Amos would be good choices. Find somebody to pull out of the secondary to help rush the passer so Zedarius Smith can play more on the inside, and they can use him as a weapon in defending the run because he's great at it. He's great at using his vision to see through the offensive line to sniff out a play and go make a tackle. He was great against the run and rushing the passer in this game. They need to use him in that capacity more often this fall, moving forward. Because he's so versatile. And Mike Patton, I don't know what it is, but his defenses last year stiffened in the red zone constantly and after turnovers. The Packers start this game, Monday Night Football, crowds wild. Aaron Rodgers has never won at U.S. Bank Stadium. Nobody really believes in the Packers. Packers get the ball, and they fumble it away on the third play of the game. Aaron Jones fumbles it away, and the Vikings are on the doorstep. And what did Patton's defense do? Through all of the noise and all the hype of the moment, forced the Vikings to kick a field goal. And they kept the offensive float, kept giving them chance after chance after chance, until finally they got out of their own way, stopped turning the ball over, and started putting points on the board. I don't know what it is, but Mike Patton's defense had a knack for playing complimentary football last year. In the offense's worst games, the defenses tended to perform their best. These two units, offense and defense, feed on each other and they complement each other. And I don't know how I don't know how you coach that. I don't know how you scheme that. But Mike Pettin and his defense just had a knack for it last year. And it was obvious in this game. It was obvious in other games as well. They forced the field goal after the Jones fumble in the first quarter. The only touchdown they allowed was after Aaron Rodgers' interception. And Kirk Cousins had to to make an amazing throw. Fell right in Stefan Diggs' lap. Jair Alexander was right there. Great coverage. Kirk Cousins made a great throw. Defense is great. Complimentary football. And briefly, well, we have a couple of minutes. Speaking of Kirk Cousins, this is why I can't buy into Kirk Cousins. How the hell did the Vikings lose this game? I watched it earlier today. The Vikings are a good team. And they're well coached. And the front office does a really good job. They find good players. And I understand Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison didn't play in this game, and that's a big factor. But you have Adam Thielen, Kyle Rudolph, Stefan Diggs at home on Monday night with everything to play for. And you you manage 10 points. And both both of those scores, the field goal and the touchdown for the Vikings, both came immediately after Packers' turnovers, where the Vikings were set up in great field position. Everything was set up. For Kirk Cousins to win on Monday night, which he never does. Which I I don't really care. I'm I'm just using it as an example. Kirk Cousins had every reason to win this game. Three turnovers for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers wasn't great. They had things go wrong. And the Packers comfortably just walked to a win in this game. Two fumbles. A dropped touchdown. A Rodgers interception. The the Vikings are at home with everything to play for. And nothing? Nothing. For the record, this is just why I can't buy into Kirk Cousins. He can be great in moments. He can be great for games. He can be even great for a stretch of a few games. But sooner or later, the real Kirk Cousins always shows himself, and that's who he was in this game. 16-31 to for 122 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Just meh. Not great in huge moments. Doesn't doesn't take over the game. He's fine. This is a game where, if you're judging Kirk Cousins, this is a game that he needs to win. He just didn't. Under contract through 2022, $96 million over three years. I I don't see it. He can be great in moments. And I don't doubt that Kirk Cousins might get the Packers a couple of times. He might beat him a couple of times the next few years. But if you're trying to win long stretches of games, like putting together a deep postseason run, I just don't see it with Kirk Cousins. And I know this is a segment about the Packers, but it's something that jumped out to me. I'm like, man, I I just don't get it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Game Kirk Cousins, the Vikes had to win. They just couldn't do it. Packers wanted to give this one away, and the Vikings wouldn't take it. When we come back, I, I have a, a fascinating theory about baseball and why they're not coming back. And I it's not something I've heard anybody talk about. And, and I want to bring that, I want to share that with you. Uh I also want to I want to keep following this hilarious storyline. Well, not hilarious. Hilarious in the sense of social media drama. The topic itself is not hilarious. We're dealing with racism and race relations in this country. And what Drew Brees said earlier and the reaction to what he said has just been unreal. If you haven't been on Twitter, go check it out. Follow me at Grant. Follow us at WKTY. We'll wrap things up in on a couple different topics coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Don't forget the podcast from today's show, and every show is available on our website, WK2iSports.com, and on our mobile app as well. If you haven't signed up already, by the way, go ahead, do it. Go to WK2iSports.com, and you can sign up to win uh, rounds of golf with cart at Trempolo Mountain and beers and burgers after the game at Howie's or after your round at Howie's. All you got to do is show us a picture of you wearing your, your favorite Wisconsin sports gear. Submit it. Sports.com. Dave's going to draw a winner on Friday morning. So if you haven't gotten signed up, here's what you do. Go check out the podcast. Get signed up all in, in one swoop on our website. Today we uh, we talked about a Packer game from last year. We went pack in time. Week 16 from last year against the Vikings. Gave me confidence in Matt LaFleur and his offense moving forward in year two. And like I said, it's like, there's lots of examples of Matt LaFleur's offense last year. Not all of them are great. That game is a good one. And a reason to believe and be optimistic going forward. Learned about that. I also learned again why I really don't buy into Kirk Cousins because the Packers turned the ball over three times in this game. <laughs> they dropped a the touchdown on the goal line and had to settle for three as well. And the Vikings still like lost, and the Packers won comfortably twenty three to ten at US Bank Stadium. That's why I don't buy into Kirk Cousins, is that game with everything on the line, nationally televised, nothing. So I don't buy into it. Before we wrap up the show today, I, I want to talk about baseball. I don't want to complain. I don't want to get mad. I'm over it. I'm tired of it. I'm I'm to the point now where I have accepted and okayed the idea that we're not gonna have baseball this year. Fine. I would rather not have baseball this year than have to do this crap for another month and complain and 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 get myself outraged and and, and this is a great injustice to our country and our time of need. You can't put sports on the field. No, I'm I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. But something has stuck with me the last couple of days. I get it, the players want to be paid, and I get it, the owners don't want to lose money. I understand everything. I wrap my mind around everything, and I'm ready to move on. But there's one thing that's sticking with me, and it's the idea that some owners want to have a season, and some owners would actually just prefer not to have a season at all. It was reported a couple of days ago that there's a discrepancy between MLB ownership on the desire to actually play. Some owners are like, yeah, let's do this. And some owners are like, you know what? Can we can we actually just wait till next year? I, I would rather not. Which is an absurd idea, right? The owner of a professional sports franchise not wanting to have a professional sports season. Think about that. Now, I don't want to make this a small versus a large market conversation, but it raises some questions, right? In a league that does not have revenue sharing, and does not have a salary cap, or a minimum or maximum payroll requirement, right, it's capitalism, it's free trade, some teams have their own television networks, with which they make money off of, some teams are in large markets, they can rake in the dollars, and some other teams have to get a little bit more creative, on how to make money, and how to drive attendance, and how to stay competitive, really competitive teams, get butts in the seats, and they make money, competitive teams, are thriving teams, and teams that can't compete, Don't get fans. They don't make money. I'm not trying to make this a small versus a large market conversation, but all I'm saying is, doesn't it say a little bit about Major League Baseball and the structure of Major League Baseball? When some owners want to play and some owners don't. And it's not as simple as small markets can't afford to play and big markets can. It's not what I'm saying. But it is interesting, and it begs the question, and it, and it makes me question the entire structure of how Major League Baseball is set up. If some owners want to play and some don't, I question the financial viability and the financial structure of Major League Baseball. Because you have owners like like the owners of, of the Brewers and of Miller Park or any other small market team. They're making money hand over fist, but they have to put that money into... Stadium renovations, improving the infrastructure of the team and the surrounding area of the team. For example, the owner of the Cubs makes a lot of money, but some of that money has to go into Wrigley Field and ballpark maintenance, and some of that money is spent with the promise of more money coming in the next year. And now that we don't have a season, these owners have bills, and they have costs that are due, but the expected cash flow has dried up. Not trying to make it big market versus small market, but when some owners of professional sports teams don't want to play professional sports, maybe you got a problem with the way your league is structured. And maybe you need to readdress the financials of the league just a little bit. Just something that's stuck with me. Tomorrow, we're going to continue to talk about baseball. Let's screw it. Let's talk about basketball. They're actually the ones coming back. They're voting on it tomorrow. I can't wait. We'll talk about it. Same time, same place. Talk to you then.